last several Sundays in Moncrief Presbyterian Church, we have been looking at some of the characteristics of some great men of the Bible. We studied as our first uh, great and powerful character, one John the Baptist, and we saw uh, the qualities in this sterling man of God that elicited from Jesus the greatest praise he ever offered to a living human being. We saw also in the prototype of John the Baptist, Elijah, in the Old Testament. Last week, we saw a little-known prophet who had a powerful message whose name was Micaiah. This Sunday, we come to a prophet whose name is not even known, but a man who wielded a great truth fearlessly in the presence of an apostate king and who has a message, I am convinced, that is much needed for our day. So I want to read to you from the Living Bible, the new paraphrase of the Bible, 1 Kings chapter 20. I will begin reading at verse 29. It's important to remember that the southern kingdom is called Israel. Its capital is the city of Samaria. Its king is Ahab. The Syrians have caused constant trouble for the people of God. They've been brutal and cruel and oppressive and merciless. And now a war has come. God is about to give to his people a victory, but that victory is mishandled and misused. And so God's prophet said, Because the Syrians have declared the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the plains, I will help you defeat this vast army, and you shall know that I am indeed the Lord. The two armies encamped opposite each other for seven days, and on the seventh day the battle began. The Israelis killed 100,000 Syrian infantrymen that first day. The rest fled behind the walls of Apex, but the walls of the city fell on them and killed another 27,000. Then Hadad fled into the city. He hid in the inner room of one of the houses. Sir, his officers said to him, We have heard that the kings of Israel are merciful. Let us wear sackcloth and put ropes about our necks go out to King Ahab to see if he will let you live. And so they went to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad, please let me live. Oh, is he still alive? The king of Israel asked. He is my brother. The men were quick to grab this straw of hope, and they hurried to clinch the matter by exclaiming, Yes, your brother Ben-Hadad. Go and get him, the king of Israel told him. But when Ben-Hadad arrived, invited him to come up in his chariot and sit by him. And then Hadad told him, I will restore the cities my father took from your father, and you may establish trading posts in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. Meanwhile, the Lord instructed one of the prophets to say to another man, Strike me with your sword. The man refused. Then the prophet told him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, a lion shall kill you as soon as you leave me. Sure enough, as soon as he turned to go, a lion attacked and killed him. Then the prophet turned to another man, and he said, Strike me with your sword. And he did, wounding him severely. The prophet waited for the king beside the road, having placed bandages over his face to disguise himself. And as the king passed by, the prophet called out to the king, Sir, I was in a battle, and a man brought me a prisoner and said, Keep this prisoner. If he gets away, you must die, or else pay me 
while I was busy here and there about other things, the prisoners did the preaching. Well, it's your own fault, he replied. You'll have to pay. Then the prophet yanked off the bandages from his face. The king recognized him as one of the prophets. Then the prophet told him, The Lord said, Because you have spared the man I said must die, now you must die in his place. Your people shall perish instead of you. So the king of Israel went home to Samaria and his prophets. May God bless you, our minds and hearts, in understanding this part of his word. you to know that since we've had the organ and, the, and our organist, Tom Starwalk, had to come all the way from the organ up here in the piano and go back, I was teasing him yesterday that he'd have to take us jogging to get in good shape for a church. <laughs> so there's one man that's always awake. That's our old glad Betty never knows what I'm going to preach. You know, I went to Columbia Theological Seminary Grand experience for me to go up to Columbia Seminary 
we forget about God, not to become so busy that we forget to pray, not to become so busy that we fail to witness for Jesus Christ, not to become so busy that we fail to show to our families the love which they deserve in the time which they need also. So his words came back to me as Professor Blythe Boring, and I thought maybe this would be meaningful on a homecoming day to hear these words of an ancient prophet speaking to a busy American with all of its instant coffee, instant tea, credit cards for instant debt, and every other thing that you can think of. We want everything done instantly. We got to do it very fast. One of my friends told me recently that when he went to New York to go to college, that he took a train one day and he went to Grand Central Station. And he noticed that everyone was running. And he said he really was very early. He was not even late at all. There was no need for him to run. But he suddenly found himself running with all the crowd. And he got on a train, and it was the wrong train he got on. He was in a hurry, but he didn't know where he was going. And I felt that way last week. And I feel this way often when I become harried and pressed. Now, what about this matter of the home? Well, those of us who are preachers have a great many demands upon our time. We hurry here and there, and sometimes we neglect our home. I read of a minister recently uh, who had three sons. One of his little boys began to develop a terrible stuttering. And so his father took him to a speech therapist at the suggestion of their family doctor. The speech therapist was also a, a psychologist. And his father later reported the source I received this from, these words. He said, that psychologist literally cursed me out. He told me I was responsible for that speech defect, and he told me that I was ruining the life of my boy. And he said to me, when, did, when is the last time that you took your family on a vacation? He said, I told him that the devil never took a vacation. The psychologist said, I didn't know that your example to follow was the devil. And so he said, I went out of that office and bought myself a camping trailer and put my family in it and started west. He said, the second day out on the trip, my, my wife nudged me and told me to listen to the conversation in the back seat where our three little boys were. I listened. I want you to believe there was not a trace of stuttering of any sort. As thy servant was busy here and there about other things, we can become too busy. Sometimes our homes are the result of making more money, become more palatial, and we have more things. But in the midst of all of that, we begin to lose something of the spirit that we ought to have. Let me say at this point, because both fathers and sons and daughters and mothers are here, that this is a two-way street, this bridge of communication through the generation gap that exists. I think that those of us who are parents need to learn from our children. I find as my boys grow older that they begin to question my judgment more. The older ones particularly will say,
said, respect me. I am an individual. Even though you can't agree with my ideas at this time, respect me. He said, trust me, I must learn how to make my own decisions. Shall we? He said, accept me, even though at the moment you can't agree with my ideas. He said, forgive me. forget it. He said, listen to me. Maybe I'll have a good idea now and then. He said, be honest with me. Tell it like you really feel. And you know, I think we have often done that with some other people. We talk about the younger generation's preoccupation with sex and moral problems. Well, older we do not realize that someone else is working in order to make it possible for us to have the leisure to learn. And when we recall that someone else is punching a clock or going to the office or laboring in order to make it possible for us to study, perhaps we ought to study, not fritter away our time. Perhaps we ought to think to honor 
when the end of his college career came after four years, which is one of those wonderful success stories, he graduated at the very top of his class. He was to make the valedictory address. The father and mother had saved in order to be able to journey to see his graduation and to participate in that occasion. But when they got there, because their clothes were very son stood and he made a tremendous address. And when he got to the conclusion of his address, he said, I have been the recipient of a great honor here tonight. But he said, I want you to know that the people who really deserve this honor are my father and my mother who have sacrificed in order to make it possible. busy to show our faith in God. One of the things that I think has happened to the church right now is what Peter Berger has pointed out out in Colorado at the Consultation on Church Union meeting there. He has said to the people who are organizing a church church movement that in trying to be relevant, we have lost our touch with the eternal. And he especially singled out college chapters said these words, the long-haired, barefooted, obscenity-mouthing campus chapter who has rock operas in the news does not have either the respect or the ear of most students because he is too obviously a phony. And then Peter Berger, who is a Rutgers University sociologist, goes on to say that down through the ages, the great religious movements have not from a dialogue with contemporary fads, but by a proclamation. What does the Church of God, he says, have to say to to modern man today? He says the Church has to say that one old story of God's dealing with man, a story that spans from the Exodus to Easter morning, when all is said and done, Christian community consists of those people who keep on telling this story to each other, some of whom have to climb up on various boxes to tell the story to someone else. And he says they are people who have touched with God to tell the story to others and to show it how they're right in universal consciousness. We become too busy. Turn to the pages of the New Testament. 
right after Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. This man who helped out another on the road who was beaten, bleeding, wounded. Right after that, Luke tells us that Jesus went into the home of Martha and Mary. And she didn't know what to do. Mary sat down at Jesus' feet and listened to the master's words that fell from his lips. And her heart was thrilled and her soul was inspired. Martha busied herself in preparing for her distinguished guest. And then you see a little family quarrel popping out in the pages of the Bible. Martha walked through the room and she said to Jesus in a very racy way, she said, doesn't it mean anything to you that, that I have to do all the work? Did you ever hear that? Well, you know what Jesus said? With great kindness, he said, Martha, Martha, which is an indication of that you're worried about a great many things. Now Mary has listened to what I have to say. And this means more to me, and that's good thing to not be anxious. What Jesus is saying here is that it's not, is not that it's unimportant to work. We must work. But he is saying that it is important that we take time to commune with God that we take time to feel his transcendent power, and we take time to understand his word. Do you remember that little poem by Ralph Baldwin Christmas? I met God in the morning when the day was at its best, and his presence came like sunrise, like a glory in my breast. All day long the presence lingered. All day long he stayed with me, and we sailed in perfect calmness o'er a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered, other ships were sore distressed, but the winds that seemed to drive them brought to us a peace and rest. Oh, I thought, then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mind, when I too had loosed the moorings which a presence left behind. So I think I know the secrets learned from many a troubled day. You must seek him in the morning want him through the day. Those are great thoughts. Too busy. Have we become too busy to pray? Too busy to think about our Savior? Too busy to think about God? Too busy to think about the world to come? After this life is all finished and done with, where are we going? Remember those words of Jesus? 
thought that he really knew what he's talking about. He was really lost for eternity. Why didn't I go any further? I said to him, son, listen, I think you are right on the inside, but you're not really dead yet. You are not dead yet. You're not saved yet. Then we came. I remember picking up the shovel and helping him shovel the dirt that he really knew what he's talking about. He was really lost for eternity. Why didn't I go any further? I said to him, son, listen, I think you are right on the inside, but you're not really dead yet. You are not dead yet. You're not saved yet. Then we came. I remember picking up the shovel and helping him shovel the dirt. Yeah. 
may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our Comforter and our Guide, be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore.